Haven't you enjoyed the singing and praising the Lord this morning? Uh, it's such a joy to be with you. And I know you have been praying, and I know, I think I have recruited probably several hundred uh, who have committed to pray for this week. Because we realize if anything eternal is to be done, the changing of our hearts and lives and reaching of the lost, that has to be the work of God's Spirit through the Word. And uh, we, we pray that you will be uh, committed to this. We had a wonderful time in Sunday school. We talked about what was the world like when Christ first came. I want this entire week to be focused on the person of Jesus Christ. What was his redemptive work for us and what role does he have for us to play in this world until he would call us home? And we're so thankful for the church, for the pastoral staff here that has worked so diligently. Many of you leaders here have diligently worked to keep this lighthouse going in this city. And God has ordained that this would be salt and light in a dark and decaying world. And we're just so thankful for that. And I, I hope, I hope you will commit to be here every night this week, Tuesday through Friday. Uh, and you say, well, it's not really convenient. No, but we're asking if by God's grace, you would make the effort and then bring one person with you. One person. I was preaching to a group one time in a church and I said, uh, maybe one year from now, pray that God would have one new convert sitting next to you in church. One new convert. And someone would say, well, that's not much. I said, maybe that's one more than you did last year. Wouldn't it be a blessing if each one of us committed to reach one and to begin mentoring one? It would be a tremendous blessing and addition to this body of believers here. And I hope this week you catch not only the burden for the lost, but ask yourself, God, what is my heart condition? What is my state of affairs before the Lord? And you say, God, by your grace, I want to be faithful. And I want your name to be exalted in the midst of all of that. Let's pray and then we'll turn to our text. Father, I come in the name of Jesus Christ, the only worthy name. The person who gives us the access to your throne. Thank you, Father, for the opportunity once again to open your word. May you be glorified. May your word be preached. May your son be glorified that we might properly lift him up. Praise him for that finished work that he has done. We commit not only this service, but this entire week to you for your glory. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. If you turn in your booklets to the Maniac of Gadara, we printed these all in outline form so you would be able to add some additional notes uh, to this as you go along. 
sometimes you're preaching and you're hearing uh, an outline and yet you didn't get a word and then you missed the last five points trying to remember what the last point was. And so we put this into a, an outline form for you to further study and get a little more engaged in your own, uh, in your own personal life. The question I would ask this morning is what difference does Jesus Christ make in a life? We're going to take a man who had a storm going on within his soul. We pick up the story in Luke chapter 8 and verse 22. And it came to pass on a certain day that he went out into a ship with his disciples and he said unto them, let us go over unto the other side of the lake. And they launched forth. But as they sailed, he fell asleep. And there came down a storm of wind on the lake, and they were filled with water and were in jeopardy. They came to him, awoke him, saying, Master, Master, we perish. Then he arose and rebuked the wind and the raging of the water, and they ceased, and there was calm. And he said unto them, Where is your faith? And they, being afraid, wondered, saying to another, What manner of man is this? He commanded even the winds and the waters that they obey him. There are two storms in this chapter. One storm is on the Sea of Galilee. Another storm is raging in the soul of the man we're going to consider this morning. I believe this storm on the Sea of Galilee, one I believe personally, one that Satan himself caused. Knowing when Christ came, he was going to that region where he had possessed many of these people. Now there was another storm that they experienced and he just said, peace be still. This one he rebuked. I don't think he would rebuke a storm that he caused. I think one of the storms that he caused, I think he prayed up. And, and Peter tried walking on the water. But I think this storm, I think Satan was trying to sink that boat before they got to the region of the Gadareans. But we find a storm. Now we find this man we have come to know as the maniac of Gadara. Verse 26, And they arrived at the country of the Gadareans, which is over against Galilee. And when he went forth to land, there made him out of the city, a certain man which had devils long time, wore no clothes, neither abode in any house, but in the tombs. So first of all, we see the condition of this man. And we find his condition not unlike the condition that we were in before we came to Christ. Number one, we see he was unclean. While we may not have been possessed of the devil, we were born in sin. Separated from God, unclean before God. And we said he was possessed of devils. We find verse 27 and verse 29 both. Verse 29, for he commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. And we see verse 27, and it went forth there to land out of the city a man which had devils. This man was unclean. Secondly, he was unclothed. To me, very, very characteristic of those who are without Christ. It's amazing in cultures where people have come to know Christ as Savior, 
that where there was once complete nakedness, it's interesting how without any preaching being done, they find themselves being clothed. But this man was in a naked condition, not only physically, but he was completely without the robes of righteousness of Jesus Christ, very much like our condition. And thirdly, he was uncontrolled. He was restless in the tombs. We see that in verse 29, he commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man, for oftentimes it caught him. He was kept bound with chains and in fetters. He broke the bands and was driven of the devil into the wilderness. This man was out of control. And he was from the city. There was a time when obviously he had a normal life. Something happened in the life of this man that kept him from going on in that normalcy. And some decision was made or something turned in his life and he ended up living in this condition in that way. Last time Charlene and I were here, by the way, I bring greetings from my wife. She has not been well. She collapsed physically about six or seven weeks ago. And we're in a rebuilding process right now. We're still in working with the medical community. But we, we drove her on with Pastor Dan. And I told her when we were, went back to the room, I said, Honey, you know, everything we saw, I said, everyone we saw at one time was a baby in mother's arms. Everyone that we saw had some type of opportunity and some hugging and some experiencing, whether it was by a real parent or whether by a step-parent or a foster, something along the line happened that got this condition of being completely out of control. But thank the Lord there's an answer. We need to be the one giving that answer. Uncontrolled. Restless. Well, how did society attempt to change him? Well, we'll see in, in a little bit. They probably came up with a plan. I'm sure they couldn't let their kids go out to play. So that maniac is running loose up in the cemetery. And we, can't, we better keep our kids right in the yard, close to the house. We don't know what's going to happen. Well, then we see he was unconverted. He was without Christ. And the reason I think Satan was doing everything in his power to keep Jesus Christ from coming to that region of Gadaria was that he knew the power of Christ that was available and we find ourselves when you look at your own self in the condition in which you were born you were born separated from God when man sinned in the garden when Adam the federal head of the race crashed the human race into sin we were all born in sin separated from God some in various conditions but we were all born separated from God our condition was unclean. We were unclothed. We were unconverted. And in many cases, uncontrolled. Now we look at the conversion of this man. How did this man change? I was preaching to a large group of, uh, of uh, policemen, uh, prison guards, and there were actually several hundred in that meeting. I was invited to speak to a group who were 
over the prisons there in the state of Illinois. And this meeting was held in the Chicago area. And I preached on how to reduce recidivism. How do you reduce repeat offenders? And that was my, my topic. And, and I, I preached from the maniac of Gadara. And I said, when we see what happened to this man, who was a man out of control, not able to be brought under, even breaking the chains that he had, how did he end up being so different? And I said, we'll find an answer to recidivism in this man's conversion. So we, what was his conversion? Look in verse 32. And there were out a herd of swine feeding on the mountain, and they besought him that he would suffer them to enter into them, and he suffered them. In other words, he spoke. And these, these demons were pleading with him. They recognized him as the Son of God. And uh, the conversion, first of all, was a witness to the character of Christ. Because we said, look in verse 28. When he saw Jesus, that is this man who was filled with demons, he cried out and fell down before him and with a loud voice said, What have I to do with thee, Jesus? Note the wording here from a demon. Thou Son of God Most High. I mean, that is quite a title from the mouth of a demon. They fully recognized who he was. I beseech thee, torment me not. They knew that with a word, Christ could put them into Tartarus, where the demons who were so evil were bound, who were on the earth when Noah, when that time was become so wicked, they were literally chained. That's the group to whom Jesus preached between his crucifixion and resurrection. He didn't preach the gospel. He proclaimed victory. I won. The demon world thought that they had won when they crucified Christ. And Christ goes to proclaim victory to that group who were bound so wicked. These demons knew he had the power by a word to send them to that place. They're pleading Please, they said, don't send us to that place. And so it was a witness to the character of Christ. They recognized this was the Son of God Most High. Secondly, it was without the works of man. There is no work that man can do to bring himself to conversion. No works that are good enough. There's no activity that is holy enough. There's no religious ceremony that will get you close enough because it was all the finished work of Jesus Christ. For by grace we're saved through faith that not of ourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. How did man try to change him? I'm sure these hog farmers, and how many of you were ever raised on a, around a hog farm? Well, well, you kind of know. I mean, you have some pretty, some pretty big men. I remember on our many of our summer Fourth of July picnics, they they would in the hockey arena they would release a pig, a grease pig. And you chase the grease pig, and my brother Earl was fast. We were still both in high school, 
and he caught that pig. And a hog farmer, I think, grabbed Earl and the pig, and Earl spurred it out, and the farmer ended up with the with the pig. So Earl never ended up getting that pig to take it home. These men are burly, burly strong, and I'm sure they got together and said, you know what, let's catch that guy napping. He doesn't nap very often. We'll catch him napping. And let's get changed. We'll change him. They got him wrapped in chains, probably caught him at a time, and they got him wrapped in chains and said, thank the Lord. What a, isn't he different? You know, a lot of people think if we can just change people up, it's not going to change the heart. I used to tell our students at Northland, I said, I don't, we don't have a, uh, an opening school revival till three weeks into the semester. And the reason is, after you've gone through our handbook, you think you've been chained. And I said, this handbook is not for chains, it's for change. And I said, we have guidelines that will help to protect you. But I said, because if you came and you feel these chains, and I said, three weeks in, I'm in the middle of the night, I hear a ping. I tell Charlene, oh, I think I heard a chain snap. And I said, ping, and I'm hearing pings all over these dorms. I said, that's why we wait for three weeks in, because your real nature is beginning to be revealed, whether or not you can submit to these ideas or not. We don't chain you. Jesus Christ has to change you. Well, they chained him. Now the kids can go out and play. All of a sudden, he's loose again. What happened? He broke the chains. You cannot change a person by getting himself under all of these religious restrictions and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be good myself all the way into heaven. No. Titus 3.5 Not by works of righteousness which we have done but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. It's not the works of man. It was without the works of man. And thirdly, we see his conversion was by the word of God. And they're saying, Jesus, don't send us to our judgment before our time. And they begged him, let us go into these swine. And, and Jesus commanded the evil spirits and they went into these swine and the swine went running down into the sea. But how did that happen? By the word of his mouth. The word of God. We are converted by the word of God. Being born again, not of corruptible seed, First Peter says, but of incorruptible seed. Faith cometh by hearing. Hearing by the word of God. So we see the blood of Christ is manifested in that. Without the shedding of blood is no remission of sins. My wife and I, as we read through Scripture, we try to, we try to read through uh, two or three ver uh, chapters a day. Many times it doesn't work out, so we'll take the highlights out of these chapters. But we try to, go, uh, try to go through, and then when you labor through the book of Leviticus, all the sacrifices, all of the animals had to be sacrificed, all of the things that had to be done in order to... to uh, have that blood shed 
in anticipation of the finished work of Christ on the cross. And I said, then you get to Hebrews and you go, oh, finally, even the sheep are more relaxed. Not only you, the sheep say, oh, praise the Lord. You know why? Because he did it all. I mean, if you're here religious and lost, you say, Les, I have been trying, I have been striving, I have been trying to do my best, I've been trying to be religious, I've been trying to maintain the rituals. I remember my wife and I did a revival meeting in Lower Wisconsin. It was in the end of January, and uh, actually it was bitter cold and the wind was blowing, and and I had gone there uh, six months earlier, five or six months earlier, and I preached to set the church to praying. I went there and did one Sunday on prayer. And I said, let's set the church to praying. But I said, start an impossibility prayer list. In other words, if this happens, you know God had to have done it. Because in my mind, this is not possible. It might be a lost loved one, maybe a, a mate. It might be a child. It might be a relative. It might be a co-worker. Or, or whatever it is, you, you start an impossibility prayer list. And put that on that impossibility prayer list. And so they were praying from August, September, October, November, December. Now we are there at the end of January and started this meeting. And after the morning service, a man came to me, a new convert. He came, he said, you know, you challenged us when you were here before to put an impossibility prayer list. He said, I put my mom's name my mom was religious, but I know she's lost. She has no understanding of the gospel. But she's clinging to her religion. And she's coming tonight. I said, great. So Charlene and I waited in the lobby of the church. And uh, we we're waiting to see. And, and here the van pulls up and he gets out and his mom gets out. She was a little older lady and and uh, he introduced her to Charlene and me. And I said, here, uh, your son told you there's an old-timer preaching. And you're an old-timer, Mom. You'll enjoy this old-timer who's preaching. And I said, so I guess we're both old-timers. Let's go in the pastor's office and, and share our lives. So I went in. We went in. And I said, tell me about yourself. So she was telling me her story and her background, her highs and lows. And, you know, everybody in life goes through tough times. And, and uh, well, it was time for morning service. I had just done Sunday school. And I said, I've got to go now and preach the service. And uh, evening service, actually. And then I preached the evening service. And then I was shaking hands. Uh, we were greeting folks at the end. And she stood by by Charlene and me there in the lobby. And I, I, I said, uh, have you, if you died now, do you know you'd go to heaven? She said, no, I don't know. I said, would you like to know? She said, yes. I said, well, let me visit a little bit more and then we'll go back in the pastor's office. And we went back in and I took this bridge track. I like to use these bridge tracks and uh, it, it has a very plain, it, it shows the gap between sinful man and holy God and all the efforts man makes to bridge these gaps. I said, tell me your plan to get to heaven. 
She said, well, I'm, I'm, uh, I keep all the teachings of the church and I, I try to keep the Ten Commandments. I said, how is that all working? She said, it's not. I said, you know how that gap was filled? And I went through and she said, you know what? Somebody gave me one of those this afternoon. She said, had Meals on Wheels came to our house and there was a, that tract was in the Meals on Wheels meal that was brought to me. She said, I read that this afternoon. I said, well, let's go through and finish. And before I, when I got to the point where Christ filled that gap, now the cross came in. Now we see, and it, it was just like lights came on in her head. She said, he did it. He did it. And I said, that's right. When she accepted the Lord, she went out of that office and gave her son a hug I've accepted Christ. She gave the associate pastor's wife a hug. And she was all revved up. Several months later, about 11 o'clock at night, my phone rings. And, and I thought, hmm, I wonder what's wrong. I recognized her name. And I said, hello? She said, thank you again for coming to our church. And she was 11 o'clock at night praising the Lord. And then I'm at prayer meeting one night at our church in Pembine, Wisconsin, and my phone buzzes. I look down, I, I see the name, her son's name was, I went back in the lobby and I said, hello. I said, mom's in a coma. This was now a couple of years later. I said, uh, I said, go and read scripture and sing to her. She'll hear it. And I said, it'll be a blessing to her. So that's what he did. I'm, Charlene and I are visiting a guy, we, a couple we've been burdened to see saved. And I saw my phone buzz again. I answered and said, Mom's with the Lord. And uh, she wants you to do her funeral. So I go to Milwaukee in this huge, huge funeral uh, place. And uh, I... I went in and there was probably three quarters filled that, that particular part. And the coffin was there and the oldest daughter said, we want mom's coffin opened during this service. We don't want it to be closed. And I said, that's fine, whatever, whatever you want. And uh, I got up to speak and I said, you know, we see so-and-so in the box, but I know where she is. And I said, let me tell you her story. And I told of her conversion, but the amazing thing is this. One man who used to be on our staff was, took a position of visitation pastor in this church. He was out on the street handing out gospel tracts. And obviously, somebody got a hold of this track, and, and the pastor of the church at that time said, I saw this big semi-rig pull onto the parking lot of the church, during, and I wondered, I wonder what that's on. He said, I saw this guy climb out of his cab. He came to the door. He had this crumpled up gospel tract in his hand. He said, five years ago, somebody gave this to me. And he said, I need this. Five years afterwards. And the pastor led him to Christ. He's the one got burdened for his mom as a new convert. I got to preach the gospel to 
a three-quarters filled funeral parlor, many of whom were unsaved people, didn't know the Lord. Her testimony, you know what it is? Somebody simply handing out. You know the cards you gave out yesterday? Who knows what God will do that will prompt someone, you know, I think I'm going to get them for that Easter service. Or maybe you invite someone. But maybe you put an impossibility prayer list. You say, that person will never get saved. No, it's not beyond the grace of God to do that work. It says, by the word of God, the blood of Christ was shed, First Peter chapter 1. The word of God was preached. Jesus spoke. And the maniac was converted by grace. Now, what was his change as we close? How did he change? Look what we see. First of all, it was a change of character. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, If any man be in Christ, he becomes a new creation. All things are passed away. All things are become new. It was an inner change, not an outer change. He had a clean, new heart. Look what it says here. Verse 35, and they went out to see what was done and came to Jesus and found a man out of whom, note that, from inside out the change took place, out of whom the devils were departed. So first of all, we see a change of character. It was a change of the inner man. It was a change of a clean heart. That was given to him. If any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things are passed away. All things are become new. Secondly, it was a change of conduct. When the inner change took place, the outer change took place. Look what it says. Man out of whom the devils were departed, sitting at the feet of Jesus. Clothed and in his right mind. First of all, the first thing evident was he had clothes on. The second thing evident was he was sitting. You know what sitting always implied? A learner. Paul sat at the feet of Gamaliel. These disciples sat at the feet of Jesus. You know the first thing this man recognized? He wanted the word of God. I've often said many, many times, if you claim that you're a child of God and there is no hunger to sit and be fed, the word, I wonder what really happened. If there's no hunger, there's no life. If there's no appetite for truth, obviously there is no life. He was sitting, wanting more of the word of God. And then it says he was in his right mind. Ever see somebody who's just loony? You think, what? And you know what? Change conversion from the inside out, all of a sudden, his thinking was clear. It, that's what happens. When you were so thinking against God, now you're thinking his thoughts, his word, his thinking. Do we know the Lord? He said, well, yeah, I'm kind of religious. We are in Hialeah, Florida. Dr. Al Janney's church, New Testament Baptist, a huge church down in Hialeah, Florida. And closing the evening service, we had some testimonies on the second Sunday night of that meeting. 
And we were getting ready to close it. And the man stood up in the balcony, put his arms and said, don't stop yet. And he came out of the balcony, down the steps, came to the front, came to the mic. He said, I stand before you as a lost man. He was the youth pastor of the church. And he gave testimony of how he had lied about being saved. He, had, he made up a story to get a guy off his back. And then he, he uh, met this girl he wanted to marry in the church. And, and he said, I gave testimony to the pastor. I told him the same phony story I told uh, when uh, I told other people before. And then he said, uh, they asked me about when I was joining the church. Um, he said, I told that same phony story. And then he was such a popular guy and such a driven guy, they, they made him the youth pastor. Even though he had his own business in Hialeah, he, he became the youth pastor. And, and he had a, this group going on. And, and he said, I'm going to walk away from this mic and accept. I'm going to accept Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. And I'm looking at Dr. Janney. He's on the front row. And I said, he said, in other words, I think that's true. And I thought, here's a guy. There's so much more to that. But you know, all of a sudden, he was in his right mind. The pressure was gone. The deceit was gone. And now there was real hunger. What was his commission? Look in verse 39. He wanted to stay with Jesus. And look at verse 38. The man out of whom the devils were departed besought him that he might be with him. But Jesus sent him away saying, Return to thine own house and show how great things God had done unto thee. In other words, here, this man out of the city who had something come into his life that really messed him up. Jesus said, No, I'd, I'd, I'd like you to stay with me, but you need to go with a new commission. Go to your family and show. Can you imagine that mother sees him coming down out of that cemetery? Her looking out, said, kids, get under the bed, daddy's coming. She's looking and something different. He's got clothes on. Comes to the gate, I think he is so joyful, he probably jumps right over the gate and she opened the door and let the night latch catch. What do you want? I want to come home. You have a new husband. Where are the kids? They're under the bed. Go get them. They have a new daddy. I met Jesus. Can you imagine that scene? Jesus said, go home and show. This new person. How do we show the new life in us? Can you imagine in my mind the reunion when daddy hugged those kids that he probably had beaten and abused and that wife that he had so belittled and finally he, out he goes. Then another passage, go home and tell your friends this same story and I'll go home and tell your friends. Others will see a difference. Many of your testimonies of conversion would be, you're not the same you. What happened to you? I met Jesus. Isn't that your life? Isn't that your testimony? 
Say, when you came to know Christ as Savior, what a difference. And he knew forgiveness. Broken homes. Knoxville, Tennessee, had met with a parent, a pastor. I said, if I'd meet with these parents, and this uh, situation had developed, and a, I think a daughter in anger had had told her dad, I hate you and I wish you would drop dead. And she said, my dad collapsed right there in front of me. She said, if I could recall, if I could just one time hug daddy, if I could just one time say, daddy, please forgive me. Too late. But thank the Lord you're hearing, you're alive. The grace of God is at work in your heart. You might know the Lord as your Savior. You see, but there are things in my life that I have not been what I should be. Or maybe you need to come to know the Lord as Savior. This maniac was totally transformed. Go home and show your family. And Mark chapter 5 says, go home and tell your friends. Your family needs to see it. Your friends could hear it. You say, God, by your grace, may this week be a time of life change for me. Even though I know you as my Savior, Father, I have been living a half-surrendered, half-committed, half-hearted life. I have not been made any effort to touch the lives of unsafe people, many of whom are dying separated and yet you have the message what a joy to be able to tell the truth to a dying world let's bow our heads in prayer as we close I wonder what the Lord may have said to you while our heads are bowed and hearts are bowed before the Lord and you say less <clears throat> As far as I know, I do not have assurance of heaven. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands for those of you who say, yeah, I know I'm saved. But I'm going to ask for you who say, Les, I don't have that assurance, but I want to have that assurance. And I'm concerned enough to ask for prayer. Would you quietly slip your hand up that I might pray for you as we end the service? Say, unless I don't have assurance of heaven, but I want that assurance because I know the finished work of Christ on the cross has been done for me, and I at this day want to accept Christ as my Savior. I'm concerned enough to ask for prayer. Would you slip your hand up quietly? Say, pray for me. I'm not sure. But I want to be sure. What about you as a believer? You say, Les, I, I'm saved, I know it, but to be honest, it, like those who found all this food and said, it's a day of good tidings, but we hold our peace, you have the truth. But you haven't been distributing that truth. And say, let's to be honest with you, I need to get on my knees and say, God, forgive me for 
my neglect and forgive me for my lack of you and forgive me for being not being a, a faithful witness of your truth. And you'll just slip to your knees and say, God, have mercy. And God, give me your grace to do what needs to be done for his glory. And in an invitation song is sung, you might want to say, I just need to get to my knees and let God do his work of restoration in my heart by his grace. Through faith, you'll accept that. Father, have your way in our hearts beyond our knowledge. We close with an invitation in Jesus' name. Amen.